When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. They're in a rush. Saudis are in a rush. Money changes everything. They get what they want. Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Juventus, Barcelona, Madrid. These guys have been governed now. Saudis come to the table and they don't have that. That, to me, worries me. Jordan Henderson goes there. Bit of a hypocrite, right? It's as much overused terminology of sports washing. This is about legitimising the regime. It's about opening up industrial hubs. It's no good Richard Masters running going, we're not worried about it. You need to be worried about it. Welcome to episode four of Simon and Sunes. This week, we're going to talk about Middle Eastern money, Saudi, Qatar, What's going on in the world of sport? The globalised challenges. Graham, Middle Eastern money. You and I... Um, well, I've taken it. Have you? I worked in Qatar, yeah. I worked in Qatar with Keys and Gray for right. several years. So I am... I am um, what? I look, at, I look at the situation out there. The Middle East has infiltrated every aspect of our the British, British life from government... To hotels that we own, to, to Twitter, to whatever. Every yeah. part of our society. To the newspapers, who owns the every Guardian. Part of, yeah. Every part of our society. Why, why would we suddenly reject them um, and say, no, you can't come into sport? But do you, think, do, do you think, I don't think people are rejecting it. I think people are troubled by it and fearsome of it because it's such a, the financial wealth that these countries have is so significant. If you look like, for example, the Saudi PIF fund, which... Sovereign Wealth Fund. The Sovereign Wealth I, Fund, which has got 650 billion. 650 billion mm-hmm. um, under management. That kind, of re- that kind of money is beyond the level of most people's comprehension, let alone um, uh, people of significant financial wherewithal. And... It's the no-hold-bar response that worries me. It doesn't worry me. I think the Saudis and the Middle Eastern guys are perfectly entitled to build their leagues and to invest in sport and to enhance sport. But what I'm concerned about is if they do it in a fashion which kills the ecosystem. Because what was the point of having governance in sport? What was the point of trying to get some control back into the finances of sport if all of a sudden the Middle Eastern guys can come along and do precisely what they want? They're in a rush. Saudis are in a rush. I think they looked at 
the World Cup in Qatar and went, wow, the kudos that Qatar gained from that, you know, putting them on the map. And they, we were both there. And what a yeah. show they put on. It Best did, World yeah. Cup I've been to. I agree. Everything yeah. about it was fabulous. Yeah. Um, and all Stadiums the, and geography. And all the doubts and fears that people were throwing up prior to that didn't, didn't, materi didn't materialise. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyable World Cup. So Saudis will, will have been jealous of that. They are the big guys in that part of the world. They're now in a rush. Mm. Their foot is on the floor. They want to get there quickly. And that's fine, though, isn't it? But it, what it but can't be allowed to do... That might impact on our... Well, that's my point. My point is, is that, you know, I, 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 obviously the media hysteria about how much they spent during the summer for the Saudi Pro League. Um, and it was the XYZ biggest spend, you know, since, you know, it's, it's the second biggest spend in world football behind the Premier League. And I look at it and say, that's fine. I have no problem with them because they have... But if they want to come to the top table and they want to be arguably from the football side of things, be part of the conversation in the Champions League, which I don't quite know how they're going to be, but let's just say there's some hodgepodge of ideas that creates a situation where the Saudi teams can compete with the legacy clubs, mm -hmm. Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Juventus, Barcelona, Madrid. These guys are being governed now. They're being governed by some sort of constraints on what you can spend so that there's some sort of order, some sort of control, so that it doesn't depend on individuals. And the Saudis come to the table and they don't have that. That, to me, worries me. Yeah, it's, it's, so what is their long-term... That worries me as well. What is their long-term aim? Their long-term aim is to have a made... They've realised that football, like the, 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 the family and the advisors to the family in Abu Dhabi realised a long time ago, football is a great vehicle. Open doors. Yeah, it's a yeah. great vehicle. It's the most popular sport in the world. Yeah. Uh, it puts you on the map. And Man City, or it's Man City Abu Dhabi, isn't it? They're mm -hmm. so closely associated. So and the Saudis, Saudi now, yeah. yeah. So the Saudis will look at that, and, and they see they see football as a great vehicle to promote the brand. The brand is Saudi Arabia. Mm. So I, I I expect nothing to change in that respect. They don't they don't wait. They get what they want. They throw enough money at the problem. They generally get what they want, and it's hard to think of anything they've they've gone after that they've not managed to achieve. So I expect there to be major problems going forward. They're going to throw that kind of money at it. Major problems in what way? Well, I think, you know, you look at, you look at their league. If they're looking to have a, a proper league, mm. how can they possibly achieve that other than throwing zillions in order to make money, yeah. You know, when, I think it's it correct, that Stephen Gerrard's team had 600 people watching them. How can, how can, it, how, how can that dynamic change? See, I spoke it, to Robbie Fowler the other day, and he's just come back from there, and he said that's... He said, there's teams in that league that are getting 900 game fans. He said, there's other teams that yeah, I couldn't begin to one, pronounce. But if there's one team getting 900. But there were, and he said that as nonsense as well. But he said that there, were, there, were, there are many games where you're getting 50,000, 60,000 out. But we're only hearing about, in, and I get your point. So there's a lot of probably misrepresentation. Do you think, there are, do you think the only motivation, and I, I happen to think it is, it's as much overused terminology, but sports washing. This is about legitimising the regime. It's about opening up industrial hubs so that you can do more business out of it. It's about not worrying so much about what's beneath the surface. Now, this king uh, has opened the doors. I mean, you turn on the telly now and, and you see adverts, the Saudi Tourism Board, they're mm -hmm. opening their country up. Yeah. And they, maybe they're, they're joining the, the larger part of society 
So do you think that can only be a good thing? But in terms of in terms of why sport, is it, why is it a good? Do you think are, are we being a bit pious? Are people being a bit, bit pious? Because every every advertiser that advertises a product on the back of football or boxing or cricket or tennis or golf or whatever it is, is trying to influence somebody. So why is it any different? I suppose they're in a country a that's trying to open up the doors and give well, itself a different they're, feel. They're trying to to join the rest of the world, like they've never done before. In terms of we want tourists instead of it being a closed door and difficult to get a visa to go into that country. They're encouraging tourists now. They've now joined the, the, the most popular sport in the world, which is football. And they're getting household names to go out there. They're in a hurry to, to, to get there. They don't have a 25-year plan. They'll want this in the next five years. By throwing money at it and lots of money at it, I'm not sure how, how they can achieve that. Yeah. But but they, they see the... the the way to achieve things and to again become part of the world society is through football and sport. Money changes everything. Jordan Henderson goes there, mm. having been a supporter of the Rainbow Cause and... and um, Bit of a hypocrite, right? I think his days are, are um, as a top player are, are behind them. Gerard, he's gone to manage a side over there. I don't think he's gone for any other reason than he's getting a ridiculous amount of money, and that's fine. What do you think of these guys? I mean, I, what do you think these guys going over there? Um, I, I don't think the Saudis are going to be a dominant football voice because the moment, it doesn't make any sense to me. If you're UEFA and if you're FIFA and if you're the Premier League and you invite these guys to the table, then surely at some point you're going to want them to play by the same rules that you're being forced to play at. And the moment you make these guys play by the same rules... They're not going to compete. They're not going to compete. Because if you're Graham Souness and you get the same dough in Saudi as you get in Liverpool, you're going to go to Liverpool, aren't you? Mm -hmm. So, but, what, what but, do you think but, the Saudi's going to, the UEFA, Saudi Pro League is going to become? FIFA have a, a history of, of um, not bending the rules, changing the rules to... Well, they're changing for everybody then, weren't they? Yeah, to accommodate a more lucrative competition, like more teams. Yeah, like that's, but playing that's not, more games. But that's not my problem. My problem, my problem in it, if there was a problem, would be that if there's more games and there's more money and everyone's getting more money, yet there's an overall governance because everyone can get more money, but there's a financial fair play obligation upon you playing in the UEFA Champions League, whoever you are, right? If you're Bayern Munich, if you're Liverpool, if you're Real Madrid, you've got to have a certain uh, a certain level of financial governance over you to play in the Champions League or to play in any tournament. If the Saudis... Well, they can't, they, they can't take part in that. Financial fair play, they can't take part in that because if, you, if, if we're correct in saying they want to be there in five years' time, to get there in five years' time, they have to, they have to be outspending everyone to get there. So then when they've, when they've spent all that money and they think they've got teams that could compete with the bigger teams in Europe, of course they're breaking rules to get there. See, I think they should have the latitude, Great. I think they should be able to, like anyone else building their leagues up, I think they should have a period of time where they're able to spend what they want and then if they want to compete... Then, then they start to join... They have to play by the rules of the organisation. And then they have to play by the rules. And that's what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So then my second part of my observation, because I have mixed emotions about those guys going over there, about the legitimacy of the league, the legitimacy of their choices, the validity of the thinking, like Gerard's, he's gone to manage a side over there. I don't think he's gone for any other reason than he's getting a ridiculous amount of money, and that's fine. That's fine. How many other doors would have been open to him? It would have been going into the championship, maybe right. bot, maybe mid-table championship. But that maybe is his level. Well, he's, he's yet. To, I mean, he's desperate to make a career in, in management. But do you think? Do you think going? I don't. I, I'm with you. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. That's why he's gone there. He's gone there because. He's getting a shed load of money for going there. But for me... That's uh, his choice. But for me, again, again, I was talking to one of your old charges the other day, Robbie Fowler again, uh, same conversation, because he's just come back from managing in the Saudi Pro League or the league beneath it. And I said to him, I don't know why you think... That, I, I don't know if any English Premier League club owners or championship guys would look at what you've done in Saudi and think that's a gatekeeper that. or a gateway for you coming back into managing one of their sides. And how did you respond? Um, well, he's got a strange view on his managerial career in terms of what he thinks he's done so far. Mm. He's a thoroughly nice lad, by the way. He's a good lad. Um, but he's got a slightly distorted view of how he thinks he's done in the, in the jobs that he's done and why he's not being given opportunities over here. Um, mm. He thinks it will be. He thinks that the league is a competitive league and that people but will take it very seriously, is the answer. We accept they want to get there yesterday. Mm. The only way to achieve things in a short period of time in football is to throw that much money at it. It's not going to be organic. The, on, the only way they can achieve... And make a lot of mistakes along the way. Is to throw a lot of money at it. Yeah, which is what Chelsea are doing. A lot of money at it and get players over there and improve the level. But that, it can't just be one or two or three teams that are of that standard. You're going to have to, you know, a decent league. And then that would cost lots and lots of money to attract the players over there. So five, six, seven years of that, and they've got a decent standard of a league. And then 
this is what you're suggesting, yeah. then they join UEFA and be part of or FIFA, mm. join whatever UEFA. competition they can get into. Because if you remember, going back to the World Cup, they beat the Argentines on day one. I was mm. doing the game for ITV yeah. and they were fabulous. Dutch manager, wasn't it? Was it a Dutch, Dutch manager? Someone like that. Swedish Belgium, manager, wasn't it? No. Swedish? Oh, we'll anyway, they, they, were in, they got right in the faces of Argentina mm. that day and that was the first time I've seen Argent any Argentinian team intimidated. They were really aggressive. Um, so, you know, so slightly digressing. So they have five, six years of spending, spending, spending. They have four or five really good teams. They then, you're suggesting, have to then join the party and come under some sort of but FFP rules. But I'm thinking that if it's not, it's like Turkey's vote for Christmas, isn't it? If you're Liverpool and you're Real Madrid and you're Man United and you're Man City, Man City is a strange phenomenon in this conversation because of their ownership model, and you've got you've got guidelines over you, and all of a sudden they've got none, and you're going to say, "Come in, come in, mm -hmm. come, come in and be in our hen house. Yeah. You can be the fox in the hen house." Yeah, but who will decide that? Well, you you would who think, will decide? Well, who's who's decided that you who decided that financial fair play should exist in the first place? UEFA. Who's made a who's made a dog and pony show about it forever and a day? Seferin. You would think it's going to have to be a ridiculous U-turn, unless, of course. That the what you believe and I believe to some extent is that but money changes everything. Did FFP not come in because some of the big clubs in in Europe, historically the big clubs in Europe demanded that because there was there was sovereign states behind football clubs. No, see, I had this conversation with with someone who you would know, Rick Parry, um, who was uh, the intellectual capital behind a lot of things and obviously the formation of the Premier League. And I said to him, "There's this argument going around." that the FFP was brought in to maintain the cartel so that the people at the top never got to be you mm -hmm. know, diluted by clubs that are coming up. And it was really more about sustainability. It was more about the economics, which in some way goes towards your argument, which is when there's new money coming in, it does need a level of control because otherwise it can break the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a, a combination of two things. To stop situations like people like me that run out of money because they've got too much ambition and ultimately mm -hmm. then cut their own throats because um, there's no governance. And at the same time, protecting the new models where people can just throw as much money as they want. And you know as well as I do, Graham, that the, the filter effect of what gets spent at the top drips down, drips down, drips down to the have-nots. And then the have-nots are finding themselves in terrible situations because the average player salary goes up across the board, right? But you have created the Champions League in its present format because of the big clubs in Europe on day one in the knockout competition as it previously was. With more money. They were losing out. They could lose that first game, so they wanted a guaranteed income. Hmm. So I, I, you know, all the this, is, broadcasters. this is driven. This will be driven by UEFA and FIFA how they can monetize it. It'd be fascinating to see if someone like if someone like Saudi were to buy someone like Sky, and what that would do to English football. That would put the cat amongst the, the devil. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you were around, would you take a job in the Saudi league? I mean, you didn't you didn't want to manage past two thousand and six, but if you were managing now, would you be inclined? Um, would I have gone there as a, if I was the, the Liverpool captain, Jordan Henderson goes there, mm. having been a supporter of the rainbow cause and... and um, Bit of a hypocrite, right? Yeah, that, that, I find that that would have been difficult for me if I'd gone down that road and then had the chance to go there. I don't think I could have done that. If I'd been a player coming to my end, in this country, um, possibly. But at the end of the day, if you've had six, seven years, 10 years at the highest level in the Premier League, 
you will earn a great deal of money mm-hmm. enough to see your your grandkids through their life as well if you've been semi-intelligent with it. So going out there for a, a, a final payday to play in that and that again until it's put in front of me, I don't know. What about managing there? Yeah, I think I would have done that. Mm. Yeah, I think I would have done that. Because of the economic returns? Yeah. Not because of the challenge you know, of Yeah, but because you know, it's, it's different. It's, you know, it, for me, I played at a time where um, we were well paid. We, 84 hours, mm. arguably the best. But this is astronomical stuff. Yeah, though, Kenny and I were the best players in, in the country at that time. And we were getting maybe 12 times average man's wage. And today, that's not life-changing money. It was great money, but not life-changing money. Instead, they're getting five or 600 times average man's wage. So I suppose, you know, if I'd been offered to manage a job five years ago, I would have possibly said yes for the kind of money that I hear is going around mm. in Saudi Arabia, which is enormous. You think Henderson, when I'm, I, I think Henderson's a hypocrite. And I think the only reason I think he's a hypocrite is because I don't like people that say things that don't have any skin in the game. It's really easy. The England players didn't want to take a yellow card in the World Cup but wanted to make a little noise about which particular thing they supported. Do you think he can play in that league? Do you think top players can play in a league which is a substandard league? Because it is a substandard league. Like the Chinese league was a substandard mm-hmm. league and it was just used like to weaponise agents getting more money out of clubs for players that can go to China, that can go to Saudi. That's the thing about it I don't like because it gets used by people to be able to jack everything up for everybody else. Do you think Henderson can play in that league and legitimately have a case for being in an England side? Um, Besides favouritism from his manager? Well, he would appear to be a good type around the place. Um, I think his days are, are um, as a top player are, are behind them. Um, so I'll tell you, my, 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 I gave my story. How I would answer that, think about it. I went, I was playing here in, in England, European Cup winner, went in 84 to play in Italy, there three months. And I came back and asked if I could train at Liverpool. And Ronnie Moran said, yeah, we're, we're actually on Anfield today. And we had a game, so we did our bit of running. We had an eight-sided game across the pitch at the Anfield road end. So it, was, it wasn't like a tight six-a-side game. It was eight. And in those three months, I'd gone from a player that would have played in those games at Liverpool and had as many touches as anybody else to three months in Italy coming back to play in that game, couldn't get a kick of the ball. Everything was happening too quickly for mm-hmm. me. I'd become in Italy because in Italy, the teams, for so midfield players, it was easy. They would drop off mm-hmm. to 18-yard lines, which gave midfield players all the time you needed. And if you could pass the ball, it was, it was a doddle playing there. Where in England... They were there, they were pressing you. It was more difficult to play in. So the point I want to make is in three months, I'd slowed down. And my so you're making a case for the fact that he's not playing in top-level football. Yeah. He can't play in this tournament. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So have we come to the conclusion? Middle Eastern money, good thing in sport. I don't like what it's doing in boxing because I think it's dividing us and only making big fights happen. But as a rule, do you think Middle Eastern money <coughs> in sport, good thing? I'm going to sit on the fence for that. I think it's inevitable, yeah. and it's how it's how the decision makers deal with it. Mm, I think you're right. I, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a very interesting watch, and it's how FIFA and UEFA deal with it, and, and, and ultimately Premier League deal with it. But I think um, and they should be nervous. The Premier League. It's no good. Richard Masters running guy. We're not worried about it. 
you need to be worried about it. Yeah. I think most of the sensible Premier League club owners think there's see, something they should be worried about. See, I think that, that young player, youngish player, I think about 25 from Wolves, went over there. Nevis. Nevis. And yeah. he was, he's a really good player. Mm. He's gone with the next three or four years been the best years of his career and he's chosen to go there. A bit like Oscar when he went from Chelsea to um, China, didn't he? Yeah. Out to be a bloody footballer, eh? Great time for him. Right, that's it for episode four of Simon and Sunis. Thanks for watching. 